Just when you think it couldn't get any easier, the folks at The Grainfather have come up with the G40, now available in the U.S., more volume, 40 liters, up to 10 gallons, Wi-Fi connectivity, and a sight glass. All the bells and whistles of the original all-in-one, but ready for more brewing. Grainfather continues to offer quality, state-of-the-art homebrew equipment and impeccable customer service for the 21st century home brewer. The Grainfather community app with recipe building software helps you bring your vision to life all from the comfort of your mobile device. Check them out at grainfather.com. Brewed Up is grateful for the sponsorship from Premier Malt Group. Premier Malt Group is a family-owned exclusive distributor of Alberta Malt Barley from Origin Malting and Brewing and Family Ventures. Alberta Malt Barley is recognized as the world's best barley for craft brewers and provides full traceability to the exact field where they grow it. Order by the 55-pound bag or pallet by phone or email. Find the contact info in our show notes. Thank you for streaming this little homebrew podcast. Brewed Up Chronicles, the fermentation highs and lows of Tyler Sadler of the Valley and Lori Ann Gutierrez of South Central LA. We also discuss breweries, cats, tacos, other adult bevs, and and whatever whatever else comes to mind. This show is available to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm, and wherever else you like to listen. Now, here's the show. Hello, hello. This is Brewed Up. We have such a special guest on today, and we are super eager to jump right on in. Jen Blair is a beer sensory expert and so much more. So welcome to the show, Blen. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Did you just call her Glenn? Um, Blen, which... It's kind of a blend of your... Yeah, so just think about it for a little bit. Consider oh, it. God. Start starting off great. Um, yes, right. yeah, yeah, Jen, welcome. Welcome, Thank Jen. You. Thank you both for having me. Of course. Yes. Um, so before we get into the meat of the episode, um, actually, Jen, do you still homebrew? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely okay. do. I, I haven't for probably like a couple of months, but I am definitely eager to get back into it. Perfect. So, well, I don't know if that's going to be weird, but we're going to do a home brewery update. Um, (laughs) And I know you haven't brewed in two years, but maybe you can tell us what you brewed two or sorry, two months ago. (laughs) Um, As always, our home brewery update is brought to you by Delta Brewing Systems. Um, Great fermenters. Check out the eight gallon firm tank stainless steel. Super affordable. We have them. We love them. And they're awesome. So check out uh, DeltaBrewingSystems.com. So uh, actually, Lori, did you want to kick us off? 
Oh, oh my God, the song. Time for the uh, home, home brewery, brewery update. Update. All right. Okay. As soon as I learn how to use GarageBand, we're going to have ourselves a new song. I just have to Google it. Uh, my home brewery update. I don't think it's changed since the last time we met. I am fermenting a rye pale ale. I did dry hop it on a whim. I don't know if that was the right Ooh. move because I was trying to taste dry, but I just got weird. And I'm trying to plan what to brew next. So maybe I'll have a cool idea after this convo here. Cool. Um, What's mine? I guess I'm doing a lot of stuff for Lit Brew. So trying out, um, I don't know if you've tried Philly Sour Gin. It's kind of came out like a year or two ago, but oh. it's kind of a finicky finicky yeast that I'm trying to um, experiment with and uh, like kind of wrangle almost because <laughs> the pH drops really fast. So I have a beer that's uh, fermenting co-pitch with Philly Sour and Kolsch. Um, and today I just brewed a Imperial Brown Ale that's supposed to have some baklava elements, so honey and some pistachios eventually, and, uh, yeah, hit my marks on both of those beers. I'm pretty pumped. Nice. Nice. And Jen, you kind of taken a break, but what did you last brew, or what do you think you might brew next? Yeah, so the last... I feel like I'm missing one and it's probably going to be something like super obvious, but the last one I remember brewing was a double IPA. Um, it's a recipe that I use when I'm brewing the double IPA and I usually just switch up the hops, sometimes the yeast. Um, and that I think will probably be the next one that I brew because I was able to go to CBC this year and get a lot of super cool hops that have been sitting in my freezer um, so I was on a break and I'm sure we'll get to this, but I was on a break because I was studying for my master Cicerone exam. So I just have like all of these super cool new hops that are in my freezer right now, just dying to be brewed with. Uh, so I've also been working on a few beer recipes, but that double IPA is going to be what's up next. Is that something you like to drink double nice. IPAs? Yes, it's, you know, if I'm, for me, a double IPA is always a good homebrew beer. I enjoy drinking it, and even like if it doesn't turn out quite the way I want, it like it'll still be a, a good American IPA. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's one that I don't really brew. I'm not a, the the home brewer who will like rebrew a recipe until they get it exactly the way mm. they want. Um, I might try something here or try something there, or decide I want to brew a style or I want to have a style on tap, um, and you know, and brew brew that. Uh, but the double IPA recipe is one that I usually brew at least a couple of times a year. What's what's your ABV come out on your double? Uh, it depends. It's usually around about eight and a half to nine. Ooh, big boy! Get that yeah, that's around. <laughs> I love a double IPA and a nap. There you go. <laughs> like an appetizer? No, a nap. <laughs> Oh, a nap. I think you said an app. I was like, actually, a double IPA, an app, and a nap. And a nap. Delicious. There you go. Yeah, actually, nap is short for napetizer. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> Napetizer. Oh, oh that's perfection. Wait, what are we all drinking? 
Because I see beer glasses. Yes. I have a PBR. Obsessed. PBR. Impressed. PBW. Well dressed. <laughs> Classic beer. Uh, honestly, Lori, this might be yours. Do you remember giving me a bottle that said PN on the top? I just found it in my refrigerator. It I, smells like a sour. I know. Like a I have no idea what PN. It's really good, so I'm just going to say it's yours, okay. Mystery Beer. Yay! Mystery uh, Cider. Cider. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know. What are you, Lori? Uh, what are you drinking? I'm finishing this keg of milk stout. Maybe that's what I'll brew next, this milk stout again. I'm not one to like try to perfect a recipe because what's the point? But I am one to drink milk, spout, milk stouts in the winter. Sweet. Nice. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so all right, let's jump into this interview. So Jen freaking Blair. Okay. People, if you haven't heard of her, what rock are you living under? Yeah. She goes uh by on Instagram under the Jen Fluence. So follow her if you don't already follow her. Um your credentials are astonishing. Like, all right, so let's <laughs> aspirational a honestly few aspirational exactly <laughs> people are like tyler you're like doing so much stuff in beer i'm like do you know jen blair yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway so just a few things so you are currently uh awaiting results from your master cicerone exam so but you're currently an advanced cicerone mm-hmm. um national bjcp judge you're on the governing Governing Committee for American Homebrewers Association, currently still, right? Yep. Um, You do your own, like, through your website, it seems like consulting, training, education on, like, beer, beer styles, etc. You've got a podcast, everyone should listen, False Bottom Girls with um, Rachel, which is a great podcast. Great, great, great podcast, by the way. Yeah, really fun. Um, the last thing I have here is you have a certification from UC Davis. Yes. A- Applied Sensory and Consumer Science Certificate Program. Fucking A. Yes. Yeah. I, like, I just got that in October. That's like one of those things you that don't know so exist until like cool. your friend is like, hey, I got this thing. And you're like, right. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I, knew when I was wanting to get into the beer industry, I really liked the idea of sensory. And I listened to an interview with Lauren Limbach, um, then Lauren Salazar of New Belgium. And she was talking about doing sensory and said, if you're interested at all in doing beer sensory, this is the program, like this is the best program that there is. And I had, I applied for it and was accepted and then ended up deferring my enrollment for three years. And finally was like, okay, I need to either prioritize, really just prioritize paying for it because it's, it's not cheap. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I either need to prioritize it and do it or just tell them like, Hey, never mind, I'm out of the program. And I really didn't want to do that. So last year I was like, okay, this is the year it's going to happen. And it did. So I I received that certificate in October. Congratulations. Thank you. Very cool. Yeah, UC Davis is no joke. Like, I know, I know it's pretty, it's pretty pricey to, to do programs there. Um, yeah, but I know it's it's pretty it's pretty rad for anyone that wants to get into like beer education and stuff like that. So, for sure, for sure. And one of the professors there actually used to work in the beer industry, and 
he, uh, you know, the Brewers publications have or used to have like the style books. Um, he wrote the one on Lambic, which I thought his name sound, sounded really familiar. And then one day I was like looking at that book and was like, hold up. That would be a really weird coincidence if because he's French. So it's a very French name. And it was like, mm-hmm. that would be really a really strange coincidence. Um, and he had already told me that he was in he had worked in the beer industry. And I still come across his name. Like when I do research and stuff, I'll see like him being cited as an expert in different beer things. Uh, so it's definitely there's a, a lot of familiarity with like the beer industry within that sensory program, which is fantastic. Every time I hate my job, I get on the UC Davis website and I look at the, <laughs> the winemaker program. <laughs> I just take a little mental break and I'm like, fuck this shit. Right. <laughs> I need $8,000 for this fucking shit. But <laughs> right, exactly. Yep. Yeah. I have the same thing. And like, then it's just like, I'll just find a vineyard. Um, that already has like all the startup costs and investments and everything taken care of. And I just show up one day and that's, that's just my life from then on. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. So, I mean, I guess we could kind of start from the beginning. Um, This podcast could be three hours or 30 minutes. (laughs) We won't try and like, you know, keep you too long, but um if you want to quickly take us back to the beginning, uh, yeah. like where did your, your beer journey begin? And uh, I mean, was it a beer that you got excited about that you were like, oh, cool, cool, cool? Or was it, like you said, sensory? How did it start? Yeah, you know, for me, I had always, I, I always enjoyed beer. And my, my sister, she's 10 and a half years older than I am. So when I was, you know, 21, 22. Uh, I was very much a Bud Light drinker. And I, I grew up in Missouri. And so she said, you know, maybe you should try something like this and gave me a Boulevard wheat. Um, and Boulevard at the time wasn't really that old anyway. And I hadn't had something like that. I was just used to Bud Light. And like, that's, that's what was available. That's what was around. Uh, so that really opened my eyes to the, the possibility or the reality, I should say, that there were other beer styles out there and different kinds of beer besides what I had grown up with. So I, you know, I was a beer enthusiast and, and enjoyed trying different styles and then realized that you could actually just make it yourself. And I'm very much a, a, you know, a maker. So I like to make cheese and pasta and bread and all sorts of things like that. And beer was very naturally an extension of that for me. So I started home brewing in, um, I guess it was 2000. 13 and uh you know from there used that really as kind of the backbone for everything else that that has come after that and in terms of joining a homebrew club getting feedback on beers Uh, my homebrew club in chicago was the first time i had ever judged we were having an inter-club competition and um, i remember feeling i like i didn't know what bjcp guidelines were uh, I was very fortunate in that the people in my homebrew club, you know, invited my husband and I to sit down and judge and walked us through the process. But like, I didn't, I didn't know that there was an app for that. I didn't know, you know, what, like what SRM was or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember like us coming home and I described it to my husband as like, when you have those dreams, when you are show up somewhere and you're naked, like, I just felt like very vulnerable and exposed <laughs> 
doing the judging, but I, you know, I really liked that experience, not the, not feeling like I'm naked someplace, but um, I'm judging <laughs> beer and um, really wanted to, I'm very much a, a student. I like to learn things and I was really drawn to going into the Cicerone program as a way to really structure how I was learning about beer. And at the time I was working as an attorney and I really didn't like that. Um, and I knew that that wasn't, you know, that that was um, a very expensive lesson to learn that maybe I didn't want to be an attorney and I wanted to be in the beer industry. Uh, so I, I continued down that Cicerone path. I did the same, I started beer judging at about the same time because I think that the two really go hand in hand and then got the the position with the North American Craft Maltzers Guild as their first full-time executive director. And that wow. was, yeah, that was very much, um, I was getting very frustrated with the fact that it was like, okay, you know, I'm a certified Cicerone now. And I, I'm a, I think at the time I was a certified BJCP beer judge and like nobody's knocking down the door to hire me because I didn't really qu quite fit in anywhere. And I finally just wrote a job description for myself because I was like, I know what I don't want to do, but I don't, I can't really exactly articulate what I do want to do. Uh, so I sat down and wrote down like, here's everything that I would like to do. Here's where my skills transfer. And when I saw that job for the guild, like side by side, there were a lot of similarities and a lot of skills that I could transfer into the job and be in the beer industry. And I didn't think that there was ever a chance that I would get the job, um, but I applied anyway. I almost didn't. And I did. And that's when I was able to leave the, you know, the legal world to go into the beer industry full time. Um, and so since then, I, you know, I've continued through the, the Cicerone and the BJCP ranks. Um, so hopefully by the end of the, wait, not this year, this year's almost over somehow. Hopefully by the end of 2022, I will be both a master Cicerone and a master BJCP judge. Oh my yeah, I know you will be. That makes sense. <laughs> no doubt. That you're an attorney. And so of course you can get through those, like you're good at school. You're good at reading. You're good yeah. at processing information. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yes, exactly. Like you eat the, I have a girlfriend who's an attorney and I, she always just has like briefs, just like all these papers. And she's like, oh yeah, I have to read that tonight. I'm like, you're going to fucking read that tonight. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you have that amazing learner skill. That's, that's so cool. And so impressive when yeah, you, thank you made that shift, I'm assuming it was a little scary. But you did it. You just yes. kind of leaped into. And then what, uh, when was that when you when you worked with the, the guild? Uh, I started with the guild in July of 2021. Oh, very recent. I love this. No, I'm sorry. This, this is 2021. Uh, 2017. <laughs> okay. Wow. So I, East Coast time, it's almost 9 p.m. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, uh, 2017. It's okay. You've had a crazy, like, past, like, month crazy. Yeah, month, right. Like, few months. <laughs> you earned it. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and, you know, it was scary because I, the, the job that I was in, I had been with that company for seven years. So it was very much, a, you know, a routine. Nothing was ever really surprising. Um, and it was really, it was a pretty, I shouldn't say it was a brainless job, but it was pretty routine which was fantastic because then I could listen to, you know, podcasts about beer, books about beer. When I went home, I left my work at, I left my work at work 
And so like that's, I had started a beer blog kind of as a way to work as sort of a resume. So I could say like, yeah, you know, on paper, I don't have a ton of beer experience, but you can go to my website and see all of this research that I'm just doing on my own. Um, But yeah, when I was interviewing for the job, I was talking about how scared I was to keep going through these interviews. And then I was like, but you know, the scariest thing is going to be if they actually give me the job, I have no idea what to do. And, And it was a remote position. So I very much was just sitting at home and, you know, and kind of like, hello, what, what does anybody need me to do? And it, it took a few months before I really started to feel comfortable taking ownership of, you know, of a lot of, of different projects that had been ongoing because I was the first employee. So there was a lot of information that was, you know, on some random person's laptop and that was the only place that it existed and trying to piece all of that together but yeah, then, you know, I, I realized like, well, nobody has had this job before. So I, I really need to not worry about like messing it up or not doing it the way somebody else did because I'm the first person to do it and also the only person doing it. So, you know, realizing that definitely helped make it uh, far less scary. Um, yeah, and, you can essentially yeah. just like create your own. Like, I, I like the idea of writing and I think people should do that more often is like you're writing your own job description or however you worded their phrase that mm-hmm. um, and then using that to kind of help you guide yourself to wherever whatever job you may want to like land yourself at um, I, I don't know I feel like that's kind of that you like secreted it you know the secret secret you secreted it. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I manifested it. Yeah, you manifested it. You made like your dream board. Yeah, you know, really, that's um, like I said. Like I knew I didn't want to be a production brewer, and I didn't want to be a sales rep. Um, and though, like, those are totally fine mm-hmm. positions. They're just not for me. Mm-hmm. And I was getting frustrated because I wasn't seeing something that I wanted. But then I was like, well, and and actually, one of my I was working part time at a beer bar. And one of the the co-owners was like, well, what is it that you want to do? And I couldn't really articulate it, but I had some ideas. And so I just sat down and wrote it all down. Like if I could write my job description, this is what it would look like. And yeah, you know, once I did that, it became really easy to ignore all the other jobs that, you know, like I wasn't going to get a job in the beer industry, just have a job in the beer industry. So understanding and being focused on what it was that I could bring to the table and then also where I wanted to grow made it a lot easier to not feel like I was missing opportunities because I was applying for jobs that I was like, you know, 60% enthusiastic about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw that job, it like, it really, really matched up. Um, there was, you know, maybe like one or two things that didn't, that weren't on there, but that's, I still revisit that job description and it's still very much what, you know, I'm, I'm heading down that, I continue to go down that road that I wrote for myself and the same thing, um, you know, a few months ago, sitting down and just writing out a five-year plan and being like, I did this once before where I just wrote everything down and, you know, once it's down and it's out of your head and like, I've got my, I've got it right here on my wall that I can look up every day and see those things that I was, you know, I'm just like, you know, maybe I will open a brewery or maybe I will write a book or have like a Netflix series that, you know, just, putting all of that stuff out there uh, really helps keep you focused when Mm -hmm. you're trying to make those, those kinds of like career 
and also personal growth decisions. This is very inspirational. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm loving that. I'm like, I need to hear this. I'm sure there's a bunch of other people out there need to hear this. You know, that's that's cool. That's really rad. I I appreciate these. Uh, I don't know. I just appreciate how you're like putting it out there. And it's good. People don't need to think more like this, you know, so that they can do whatever they want, like in their life. So right. that's cool. Um. So go ahead. Sorry, like No, I was going to say like currently with the Maltsters, like wh what's going on with that organization? Can you describe a little bit about it? Sure. So uh, actually I had, I'm, I have, you know, I left the guild a couple of years ago as the executive director, but I've, I'm still a member of the guild. I'm on the technical working group and we actually just had our meeting this afternoon uh, so there is the Craft Malt Conference is coming up in February. That's going to be in Portland, Maine. And um, I will be there for that. I actually get to present with Lindsay Barr. And that has been like, Lindsay is one of like my icons, one of my mentors. And anytime I tell people, like I just say out loud that I get to present with Lindsay Barr, I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that will be, I, I believe it's maybe like the third weekend of February. Um, and I'm really excited about that. One of the great things about the Craft Malt Conference is that it is done in a different location each year. Uh, last year obviously didn't happen because of COVID, but um, that was one of the things that I both liked the most and hated the most about being with the Guild is planning the conference um, each year. And I always described it as like planning a destination wedding every year for an ever growing number of people. Oh, and, God. Yeah. And there, like, there are aspects that's of event crazy. management that I really like, like I like planning things. Uh, so that's great. And of course, being able to be there and with, you know, something like the guild is very much like the Brewers Association or the AHA, mm -hmm. the members are all over the world at this point. And, you know, you have this conference where you get to come together and see all these people that you haven't seen in a year or maybe more. And, you know, and also all of those people that you interact with, you know, through the forum or just guild activities or on social media and actually getting to meet and see each other in real life and hang out is, is super cool. So that is coming up in February. And I think that's probably the extent of the, the craft malt updates that, that I can give. It still sounds amazing so it's an you, awesome organization yeah what are you currently working on right now I know you've got like a lot of you've just passed so I'm assuming you're just taking a bit of a break no I don't do you know if you've passed you took I mean, the exam master sister yes. exam right yeah so um I took that a little over a month ago now. And so it was it's funny that you asked because earlier today I was actually looking at like the date calculator because they told us it should be about six weeks before we find out our results. So next Thursday is six weeks exactly. Wait, like <laughs> and, what uh, are the rates on passing? I'm assuming it's very difficult, but you have to yes. kind of go through the ranks. Right. There are, so there's currently 19 master Cicerones in the world. Stop. Um, the, wow. Yeah. The average, I believe the average time to pass, it usually takes people about three times to be able to pass. So the. Okay, I have anxiety. Right uh, now. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> the um, there are a handful of people who passed the first time they took it, mm-hmm. um, but you know it's it's a handful. So I would say, you know, m- like maybe thirty percent of the master cicerones um, who've well, I shouldn't say who've taken the exam. They've all taken the exam, but about thirty percent of them passed their first time. And that's, you know, there are a lot of people who have taken it once or multiple times who decided that I guess this isn't for me and they don't take it again. Um, so, yeah, I think generally speaking, it it takes, I think, three times is usually the sweet spot for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they I know that they've said that usually like this when people take it the second time, they do worse than they did the first time. So then it's like they've really got something to prove and they come back and take it the third time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I I, I do know people who have said, you know, I went into my third attempt and if I didn't pass it, I was done. And like it was going to be like a three strikes, you're out. I I was finished and they passed it on their third time. So statistically speaking, it is highly unlikely that I passed um, the first time. But yeah, so we should find out. there were there were only five of us who took it this time, so I'm not sure what that means in terms of like getting the exams graded. And I'm not sure if I want it to be faster or not anyway. Um, but yeah, you know, since I've taken that, I took that at the beginning of November, and it's was has definitely been like, well, what do I do now? Like, what do I do with all this time and all this brain space besides like like very tenuously trying to stay somewhat in study mode. So if I have to start studying again, I don't have to like relearn, you know, ABV ranges of all these different beer styles. But yeah, there was definitely a a few times that um, Pablo Escobar meme of, you know, of him just like sitting on a porch swing or sitting (laughs) in like, that's how I was for like the week after the master Cicerone exam. I was just like, what do I what do I even do? Everything around me is related to this exam and like, studying and I love yeah. learning about beer, but like, I kind of need a break. So, um, by the way, yeah. if you guys, I you saw guys somebody need to listen, yeah. listen to her, um, the false bottom girls podcast where Jen and Rachel talk about kind of like, not your like full experience. Obviously you can't say a, a lot of things, but they go into like, you know, the experience of taking a test um, the aftermath, etc. Um, but like for those who haven't tuned into the episode, do you want to briefly talk about like what it means to study for something like that? Have you been studying for like yeah, like what's the format? Years? Right. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it you know it was kind of difficult because originally we were signed up to take it in October of 2020, and it had been postponed and and like totally rightfully so, but postponed. Uh, to April of 2021 and then it got postponed to November of 2021 and yeah and at (laughs) like the at the beginning of September they sent an email out saying hey we might postpone this again and I I do know a couple of people who were also signed up to take the exam who were like you know what I'm I'm done then like this kind of took the wind out of my sails and if you know for me and of course I say this not not having had it happen but yeah i was like i don't i don't know if they if they postpone it again i might just wait until there's not as much uncertainty around whether 
you know, is there going to be a new variant? Does it matter if we're all vaccinated or not? Am I going to be able to like quell my rage at the public when I have to travel <laughs> through an airport and, you know, that like that sort of thing. Um, so it like October 2020 had been my goal. I passed my advanced disrone in November of 2018 and was like, okay, like two years you know, 2020, that's the year that I'm taking the master Cicerone and then having it postponed. Um, and then it's, you know, it's a lot because you're always kind of studying. And then both times it was postponed, it was like three months out. And so like my, you know, I'm already like, I, there's not enough time. I only have three months and then have it postponed again. And both times I was like, okay, well, all of these little projects that I said, if I, if only I had time, I would do this to study. Um, now I've got plenty of time. Uh, I did not do any of it, um, or I did very little of it. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's. I spoke I feel like with a lot of drinking is involved. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, it definitely is. And you know, I really, I got to a point where. So for the tasting exam, there are different sections, but one of the sections is you are just given seven beers, no context, blank sheet of paper, and they say what styles are these. Jesus. And yeah. And so I had. I'm going to have you stop right there, real quick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do they do that for you in the other Cicerone, or that's the master? That's part of the master. Just. That's part of the master. Oh, God. Wow. Yes. So for certify, what they will do is they'll give you a beer and say, is it this or is it this? Okay. And then in advance, they give you a beer and you have four choices. So, you know, is it a Munich Hellas, a German Pills, an American Lager, or a Czech Premium Pale? Uh, so for master, they just give you seven beers and they, they'll give you beers that are commercial examples are, you know, and, and also are commercial examples listed in the BJCP guidelines. Um, so you're not getting like a bourbon barrel aged kettle sour something, <laughs> you know, you, you do, you do see some of that in other parts of the tasting exam, but not for the style mm-hmm. discrimination, but yeah, I was doing quite a bit of not necessarily it was always great when i could get the style correct um, but i was getting very frustrated with the style discrimination and you know would would start to guess and just kind of get like wild about my guesses so i developed a like a strategy for this is how i approach style discrimination these are the steps i'm going to follow and i would practice with one beer at a time and what's style discrimination yeah, it was like Oh, sure. So style discrimination um that is that's the part of that of the exam that's through each one of the exams from certified up where they say, you know, here's here's a beer blind sample uh is it this or is it that? So is it a Kolsch or is it a Munich Hellas? So that's that's when I'm talking about style discrimination, that's what that is. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I was, multiple choice. yes. Yeah. I was doing a lot of those and really just working on my ability to, um, for me, it wasn't so much my ability to describe what I was tasting, but it was getting my brain to shut up and stop. Like if I saw a beer like this, I, you know, I would say like, oh, this is a really pale gold. So it's going to be this. And then like, you know, recognition bias, you, you suddenly find all of those things and it's not that at all. And, uh, so I really had to like s- practice slowing myself down and being like, shut up brain. We're not going to make any conclusions right now. Like we're just first, we collect the dots and then we connect the dots. And 
so yeah, there was there was quite a bit of, of beer drinking involved, but it definitely got to the point where it was like, okay, I'll put a stopper in these <laughs> or I'll just, you know, like I'll just dump it. Like I just have to get used to, I, I like, I don't, if I've got six style discrimination beers in front of me, I don't have to drink all of all six of them when I finish. No way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You're like trash in the middle of the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the leading up to the exam, when it got a little bit closer, I, I didn't bother as much with style discrimination just because I was really trying to protect like my mental health about it. And I had practiced enough with here's my strategy, here's how I approach it, that I knew I had that part down and that was going to serve me as well as it could on the exam and really didn't want to, you know, continue going and like what happens if I I practice this five days in a row and I get it wrong every single day. What does that mean? Does that mean anything? Does it mean everything? You know, so it was like, I'm just not going to. Cuckoo. I'm not going to worry yeah. about it anymore. I know what my approach is. And for that specific part of the tasting exam, I was getting like hyper-focused on that. And that's one of eight different tasting panels that you do for the Master Cicerone. That's just one. And, you know, even being in the exam and doing that part, there was two Master Cicerones. One was our proctor, one was our blind taster. And they were both like, this is really hard and very rarely does anybody get everything right. And so it's like, okay, these two are already master cicerones. They're saying that it's very difficult. I need to just not worry about it and be like, be ready to move forward. It sounds more yeah, difficult than getting like a master's degree. Yeah. You know what? It, it kind of can be. And yeah. that was the thing that I've struggled with going through Cicerone is because I am a very good student. I have a good memory uh, and I was always very good at understanding what professors wanted to see, you know, how they wanted that information presented to them and going through the tasting portion. I couldn't do that. I had to rely on my own instinct and, you know, really develop that and learn to trust myself. And that was something that as, you know, as like an A student, you're not used to doing that. You're used to learning what other people want to hear and delivering that to them. Uh, so the the tasting portion has definitely been like a very big, very frustrating exercise kind of in learning how to just trust myself and speak my my thoughts with confidence. Man, I I feel like we could have an entire episode on this <laughs> but like i said like listen listen to false bottom girls actual episode on this um i mean congratulations for just like taking it yeah, thank you, you. And Ra- you and rachel um it sounds like you kind of have to strategize like the sats like it's like knowing mm-hmm. things but also strategizing so that you don't just try to know everything like it's impossible right to yeah collect all right that info. so yeah um, yeah that sounds I mean yeah like I said congrats for at least well, getting you. through that <laughs> um and for holding so on through all on. those postponements that sounds like such a yes mind. yeah <laughs> fucking nightmare um so we want to kind of move into like your sensory work so obviously for anyone who follows you too um and this is what I, I was most excited to talk to you about because 
I feel like beer and food sensory is definitely not my forte. I, I want to like get a little bit better at that. And so I was like, all right, so we're going to talk to Jen and we're going to do a sensory exercise. <laughs> we're going to learn. Um, we're going to learn some stuff. But before we get into that, we have like three things we want to taste and then you're going to walk us through it. Um, I did want to ask, like, uh, I know you mentioned it a little bit before, like, how did you get into sensory work? You said you were initially for some reason interested. Um, like what, what about it was so fascinating to you that you wanted to dive a little bit deeper? I think it goes back to that being a maker, right? And wanting to understand kind of how, what the end result is going to be with things and how did that happen? Um, so I, doing beer judging was fantastic in terms of learning how to describe what I was tasting and, you know, really in the beer industry, uh, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You know, there are a lot of women in sensory and in QA, and I don't know if it's because that's kind of the space we're allowed to have within the industry, huh. or if that's the space that we go to because we have this perception that, you know, it's going to be easier to be in the industry in that capacity than it is to you know, have to, to fight to prove that you're going to be a brewer. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but for me, that was a way that, you know, being in the beer industry, doing sensory really made sense for me before I was in, uh, before I went to law school, my, my background, my undergraduate degrees in economics, like I'm, I'm very much a data-driven analysis kind of person. And, you know, really digging deep into something like beer to figure out what is it that I'm tasting and then why um, is, was, is, and continues to be really fascinating to me. And it's, it's something that also really feeds that kind of perpetual student in me where I'll taste something and be like, what is this? What is this? You know, and I'll think about it and like, okay, I, I know, I, I think that this, uh, you know, for a while when I was judging I would get um, perm solution. When I would smell a beer, I'd be like, this smells like perm solution. I can smell mm. this beer. And I'm back in third grade with my mom making me get a perm, like sitting in the hair <laughs> salon with like yeah. hard rollers on the sink <laughs> and it hurt and it's it stank, right? Um, yes. It was so smelly. And I would smell a beer and be like, this is perm solution. And oh, you know, that's, no. I used yeah. to get perms too. They <laughs> make my hair straight. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that that's also one of the things is just the power of sensory. I mean, our scent memories are so tied to, to our lizard brains and then also to our emotional centers that we've all had those experiences of smelling something and you're immediately right back to a specific point in time. Um, but, you know, I kept getting perm solution. And so, um, for me, it was just a matter of like going on Google and being like, what are the active compounds in perm solution? Mm. And, you know, sulfur, it's a sulfur-based solution. And from there, I was able to be like, oh, okay, so when I smell perm solution, what I'm really smelling is probably like H2S or SO2, and here are the reasons why I would be smelling that in a beer. Um, so I really like that detective work, and that's okay, something that's that, awesome. yeah, like it just continues to be like that with with beer flavors, with, you know, when I'm tasting a beer and each time it can be picking up something different or, you know, picking up something different that is new to my palate. So in like the, the most recent times that I've been judging 
one thing that I've been able to find myself picking up on is like aged specialty malt, mm, which makes really? sense because, you know, a lot of us, like you're not going to make a beer with 80% caramel malt, right? Or 80% roasted malt, you could. Um, they would be very inefficient and probably kind of expensive and also gross. But, you know, we like something like a specialty malt is something that we usually have, particularly as home brewers, sitting around for a while sometimes. So it can get mm -hmm. old. Aged. And yes, exactly. <laughs> and so like being able to taste a beer and be like, this beer isn't old, but the malt that you used in this is old. Uh, and that's that's something that, I mean, really within like the past year that I've been like, oh, I can pick this up now. And, it, you know, it's just kind of a, a depth to your palate, but I don't think that that ever that ever that that doesn't ever end i haven't ever met somebody who's like nope i've tasted everything there is to taste in beer sensory and i will never learn another new thing again like that doesn't exist um so that that depth of always being able to go you know farther along in the journey and being able to pick up something new or make those connections um is really what what drove me to sensory and what keeps me going in sensory so how wow. valuable are your taste buds <laughs> oh my god Jen, get them insured. I will. Yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on like if, um, yeah, I think, I think it would depend on, you know. No if, hot if, coffee. Right. No hot, <laughs> no hot right. coffee. Yeah. 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 It's just like oven baked French fries and like plain yogurt um, for me. Um, no, that is absolutely not true. But yeah, I think it, it depends on um, what kind of feedback I'm providing and whether, it's what the other person wants to hear or not would probably tell you how valuable my taste buds are. <laughs> Oof. I want to send you some beers. That's scary, but like, I'd be like, hey, girl, like, let me know all the crazy stuff no, you're I tasting. I want to go yeah. drinking with you. I'm do the blind also taste. Also that, thing. yes. Yeah. You know, it can be, um, it, it really, like, doing particularly things like master cicerone studying or, you know, taking like a BJCP tasting exam uh, is a very different mindset or judging in a competition is a very different mindset from casually drinking. And there have been beers that um, like I, there was this one beer and I won't name it because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but uh, it was when I lived in Charlotte and it's, it's a great beer. I really like this beer. I like the brewery. I like the brewers. I see it somewhere I'll get it on tap I really like it and uh, I was judging in a commercial competition and one of my friends who was like the cellar master afterwards was like I thought you liked this beer and I said I, I do like this beer and he was like no you do not <laughs> I saw your score sheet for this beer and like you ripped it apart and I, uh, I you know I had no idea and then that it happened again with that same beer where somebody was like I thought you said you liked this beer but I saw this score sheet and, and it seems like that you think this is a terrible beer and I was like I, I don't but if you know there's a difference between sitting around with friends and having a couple of beers and talking and hanging out and then being very focused in a competition where you're you're not looking for faults, right? But you are evaluating the beer against the style guidelines and you're much more of like a hyper-focused mm -hmm. mode to where you're going to be able to say like, this is a little like too onion garlicky for the style um, or that sort of thing. And I've actually, I did that once with one of my husband's beers in a competition. Um, it was- How dare you? Like a, a very small, like a local brewery did like a stouts competition. Uh, so we were 
judging and I didn't I didn't know that I had his beer on my table but I think I gave it like a 17. Oh. And then he got the score sheet back and was like you drink this all the time and I was like I do I, I like it but maybe I don't <laughs> when, it, like, when it's in a competition setting sorry. I... He's like sorry I need some time away from you right yeah, now. Yeah exactly. Let's make another one. Right. <laughs> I mean, who, honestly, who it's put like, that beer I mean, on your table? That's like they're like, he, he, he. I know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Just do it. laughs> Watch <Right>. this. <laughs> I do wonder what like a score sheet, like what score sheet you would give, or what score you would give for like a like a PBR. You know, I mean, it's beer, but we all know it's not like there's definitely some you know some stuff going on in there. But like, whatever, it tastes good. For drinking like casually well it meets a style that's what she's talking about is like yeah right right yeah you're not judging good beer yeah you're not Mm -hmm. judging delicious beer (laughs) 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 all right so we conjured up a tiny Mm -hmm. baby mini sensory exercise with jen so we've got three ingredients here um (laughs) as Lori. Tries to not demolish that cork. Um, what are you What are you drinking, by the way? Um, I'm drinking Bang a homebrew from our friend Kyle, aka Galetta Farmhouse, and this is his K R I E K Creek Creek from the Creek. Just to have a little something to wet my whistle, but I I will not let it interfere with our sensory. Oh, like we yeah. So like I was saying, we have a sensory exercise that we uh, conjured up with Jen. So we've got honey, spices, and a screwdriver that is supposedly supposed to help us elevate our palates. <laughs> so Jen, if you want to take it from here. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, when you had reached out about like quick sensory items, that's one thing that throughout the the work I do, you know, in the home brewing and the professional brewing um, spheres is really letting people know they have access to these kinds of things is really important because a lot of people would like to be able to participate, but don't know that it's for them don't know that they're welcome. Um, and that's, you know, that's just one of the barriers and other barriers can include things like cost and doing things like the going through the Cicerone program, it can get extremely expensive. And I, I think for a lot of people, one, they don't realize that they have access to being able to do things like beer sensory or they're not qualified to do it. And, you know, and we all start somewhere, but for so many of us, we already have these vocabularies in our head. It's just a matter of getting them out onto paper. And like I said, it's, you know, like with me smelling something saying perm solution and then trying to like reverse engineer what is it that I'm smelling and then what would be causing that. So, you know, so much of beer sensory is learning, you know, one, which ingredients are going to create which kinds of flavors, but they're all, you know, we have these very robust descriptors for malt flavor, for hop flavor, for yeast flavor. And a lot of it is things that we have commonly, you know, at our fingertips available to us. And is also 
important when you're doing stuff like this is, you know, off flavor standards are great. Kits are great. Uh, but you know, when was the last time, if you say that something that this malt has a honey character or this beer seems old because you're getting a honey character from it, but like taking the time to go back and revisit, this is what honey tastes like, or mm. this is what an orange peel tastes like. This is what grapefruit pith tastes like. Um, this is what cardboard all, tastes like. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> right. But it's, you know, it's always good to go back and revisit it because there are times that I'll write the same description over and over and over again. It's kind of like, you know, when you say a word and it sort of has lost its meaning. Mm -hmm. And so it's always great to be able to kind of gather up these things around your house to sort of revisit them. So the first one that um, I feared most of us probably have in our households is honey. And honey is a really great one for a variety of reasons. One, when you taste it, I mean, I love honey. I eat honey almost every day. Uh, so I have a lot of honey Ooh. in my house, but um, it's really good to think of when you, you know, think about a beer style that has like a honey malt flavor in the description, right? We have our honey here to be able to taste, to kind of remind us what that tastes like. But one, one of the areas where I've been spending a lot of my time sensory wise is communicating how beer ages. And there's a lot of a lot of different ways you can pick up those clues that a beer might be aging. But one of them is if your malt has kind of shifted toward that honey sort of flavor. And that's that's really where today that's where you know the suggestion of honey was coming from is being able to taste what malt tastes like as it starts to shift into the finished beer, you know, as being an indicator that you might have an aged sample. Quick question. Yes. Is honey malt aged malt? No. So honey malt is, is a lot like chocolate malt in that it's okay. honey malt is going to be actually a, I believe a honey malt is going to be a lightly kilned okay. malt. It's not a caramel malt or a crystal malt, but it's, it has been killed long enough to start to produce those Maillard reactions that is going to give you a flavor that's reminiscent of honey. Okay, sorry to I get off track. I used some today. No, I used some today. I've used some in a different beer too, a Belgian pale ale. And mm. it came out pretty good. Like, nice. It does taste like honey. I mean, maybe. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're well, all I see you've got a spoon. So yeah, you've got some honey. <laughs> Me and Lori <laughs> like twirling. Like Winnie the Pooh. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, I remember to get a spoon. Um because yeah, I figured it probably wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be a very good guess if I just like knocked it straight back, um, which is what I do on a daily basis. Jen, me some too. leftover from today. It's good for you. Mm -hmm. I want to just shout out um, Simi Valley Homebrew because they have uh, the honey that I'm eating is from, um, from Fillmore. It's like a, just a small town out here. Bennett's farm. It's all local, really nice. Mm. Yummy honey. I got the wildflower. Oh, nice. I have wildflower as well. So I have raw blackberry honey. Um, Ooh. Oh, nice. So wait, are we just like eating it or yeah. what do you want? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just my third spoonful. Mm. <laughs> A whole spoonful. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Honey is delicious. My honey is really I... raw and kind of old. So it's got sugar mm. crystals. I love that. Mm. I used to like really not like honey, but I'm growing what? to it. 
Mm. I know it's got it's very intense flavor, no? Yeah, you know, it depends. That's um honey, so our our episode that just came out uh for False Bottom Girls, we interviewed the honey board. Uh, because I've mm. never actually brewed with honey in beer, but I love honey. And uh, now I'm super excited to get like a flight of honeys to try the different ones to learn how different honey is in terms of like if it's wildflower or clover or you know whatever um, it's all going to have a very distinct taste and i haven't i haven't sat down to do like a honey sensory the same way i have with beer so i'm super excited to do that i was gonna say the same this company that i'm eating the honey from we hold all of their so it's like yeah clover eucalyptus sage wildflower blackberry buckwheat and a lot of people come in they're like what's the difference between all these and i'm like I don't know. There's cactus honey. You gotta right. line that but up. My my coworker who's like a real honey, like he loves honey, makes meat and stuff. He's like, um, you know, it's mostly where the the bees got their pollen, the flowers. Um, but he's like, some of them taste very different, but a lot of them t- taste pretty similar. Um, but right. I would love, I I want to do something like that too. That sounds interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think it's um, yeah, you know, it's just one of those ingredients that. I always have it in my house, but I don't really pay that much attention to yeah. like the differences that I have. And yeah, I, I've talked to a ton of mead makers who have said if you do a flight of different ones side by side, they get you learn very quickly how different honey can taste. And you're, it seems like the learning curve in terms of being able to taste the honey and say, oh, this is buckwheat or this is wildflower um, mm. is pretty small. I'm a honey hoe. <laughs> <laughs> and actually... Well, first I want to say if, if you're listening and you have a homebrew club, the people at the honey board are actually super, super generous. And the guy did like a zoom meeting yes. for our club and it, it's pretty magical. Like I've always been a consumer of honey, mostly cause I'm like a hippie and I'm allergies, <clears throat> but the next time, if you ever go to like a farmer's market and there's a honey purveyor there and they have, you can get the sticks and that is a really great way to do a honey yes. tasting is to grab honey sticks of different flavors, make sure you label them before you leave and do your own little honey hoeing. Yeah, that's a fantastic, <laughs> a fantastic suggestion. I know I've, I've bought the sticks before. Um, so yeah, that's a really great, really great way to be able to taste all of those. But yeah, National Honey Board, I am so hyped to brew with honey after mm-hmm. talking with them. And uh, yeah. They're, they're a really great group and extremely generous in the, the home brewing and the pro brewing communities. So walk Yummy. us through this. Uh, uh, well, our sense, what are we experiencing? Our honey sensory and what can we connect it with uh, beer? Yeah. So um, I, I guess I'll get another spoonful of honey. Um, <laughs> Tyler's on. Know, I'm, really like five, with... I'm like five spoonfuls. I know, deep right? now. <laughs> <laughs> so with honey, I think it can be a little tricky in terms of tasting something that a lot of us use so commonly and relating it to an indicator that you don't have very fresh beer. Mm. But um, that honey flavor is, you know, as, as beer starts to age, as your malt, you'll see it a lot of times written as malt shift. As your malt flavor start to shift, they'll shift towards honey and cherry and other oxidative notes. Um, but honey is kind of the first stop along that way in terms of like, if we're thinking about kind of like an oxidation scale, Mm -hmm. those honey flavors, like what we're tasting right now, um, 
as much as you can kind of tune out this just the sweetness of it because you know obviously it's very sweet mm-hmm. and really pay attention to the flavor uh when you're having a beer and so like when i taste honey like this what i think of is pilsner raquel because um one of the other things you find when you're studying for a cicerone exam and you're buying commercial examples is you get um an unintentional but very in-depth education on all the ways that beer can be old and mishandled <laughs> in in uh like bottle shops and stuff ah. uh, so for me uh you know I've, I've never had like a super fresh pilsner or cow but yeah, i, I definitely say, associate that honey note impossible with by with the that. time we yeah get so yeah. think yes yeah so think about going to um you know wherever your kind of big box like beverage depot superstore is and buying an import beer uh, and you're definitely going to get this honey flavor in those particularly if it's um, if it is something like a Pilsner that's going to have a high amount of Pilsner malt or pale malt in it, uh, as the beer ages, you will definitely start to get that honey shift to it. For some reason, my brain under like computes that. I'm not sure why, but like as I'm tasting it, it's not. Yeah, it's obviously like it's not like an aged old flavor, but it is kind of like if something, not beer, but like. Do other things turn honeyish as they get old, like like sweet or like kind of like cloy? Yeah, I don't know. You know, that's a really good question. And even as you were asking that, I was like, I can't explain the chemical pathway for why a malt flavor would develop kind of a honey. Like, what is happening in that oxidation process that you would pick that up? Uh, I do think part of it is as the beer ages and you start to lose that hop character and the hop bitterness then any kind of sweetness from the malt mm-hmm. is really going to present itself a lot more and seem like it's higher than maybe it really is. And our brains are very good at making leaps in logic for us, which is also why a lot of times people associate something like vanilla as being, it tastes sweet. Um, but mm-hmm. vanilla itself is not sweet. We're just used to vanilla in the context of sweetness, right? Yeah. And I think that honey is part of the same way. So if you get that that honey flavor in an older beer, your brain is also going to make that connection that it's tasting sweeter or maybe it's even vice versa. Like you're tasting a faded hop presence. So it seems like it's sweeter. And then your brain is taking those oxidated malt flavors and like translating it into this is honey. See, I'm just trying total to spitballing keep... on my part, which it sounds about right, but I'm trying to like, I'm like oxidation bad aged beer good i'm tr- i'm you know it all it you know i'm trying to well, compute I'm ass- like i'm assuming when you mean like an aged beer not something that's supposed to be aged right like correct you just mean something yes. old okay yes yes yeah because you're exactly right and that's a great distinction a, sh- a, s- a shelf turd that's what they Ooh. the kids call them these days <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But yes, yeah, some beers are made to be aged, but then even something like an old ale is supposed to have that aged character to it. So you would expect it to have like the papery notes or like the sherry, the port, the kind of Mm -hmm. like the kind of wine like flavors in it. But yeah, this is right in this context, it is beers that are old. They've been on the shelf too long. Uh, they're past their best by date and you're picking Bad. up those oxidative flavors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So wait, what do we have next? So we've got 
We can save the best for last, maybe. So okay. it's the sp- <laughs> I the spices. So I have coriander and thyme, and I have Excellent. those too. I couldn't find okay, all perfect. Spices, so yes, I have coriander and thyme as well. So with coriander, um, this one's good on a lot of different levels. So this one you don't really have to. I mean, you could eat it if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. It's really more of a smelling thing. Okay. Um, but coriander, yeah. Huffing, uh-huh. uh, coriander is a really great one because it has a lot of that, those same compounds that you get in very citrus forward hops. Yes. And of course, you know, you're using coriander in something like a wit beer, but um, coriander will actually behave in a beer if you add it, say, like the last five minutes or you're adding it at the height of your fermentation, the w- same way you would for if you're going. And I, I hate using the word biotransformation because like it's always <laughs> biotransformation. But, you know, if you're going for those really big pops of hop aroma, so you're adding it at like a peak fermentation, you can do the same thing with coriander. And you can coriander dry hop also, with coriander? Yes. So you can uh, dry coriander. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will ha- end up with similar levels of linalool and um, I think it's geraniol are the two. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. Sounds familiar. I yeah, love I know linalool is one of them, but um, coriander will biotransform during fermentation the same way that your, um, you know, the hops that you're using uh, will do that. So no way. Yeah. So it's, um, it's cool for a lot of reasons, but also just as a brewer, um, there's a potential for being able to, instead of dry hopping with like the really expensive, hard to get hops that are going to give you these flavors, maybe mm-hmm. try dry hopping with coriander instead and seeing, you know, doing a side by side or like a triangle test to see how different it is. Um, I'm going to dry hop with it right now. I fucking love coriander. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so do I. Yes. Throw <laughs> it in good. there. Yeah, me, so with coriander, is, you get a lot of those citrus flavors. Yes, and on this is one of my memories. It smells to me like Trix cereal. Yes. And I know that it's used what? a lot of food products because it is a shelf-stable citrus yes. flavor. And it just, to me, tastes like forbidden fruit of sugar cereal. Yes, I agree. Like, Yeah, I, I definitely get like lemon tricks specifically mm-hmm. from it. Yes. Um, and... For me, I also, uh, a lot of times with something like Centennial comes across as very fruit loopy and, you know, coriander does too. And it's like, it's when we say things, you know, like smell like something, it's usually because it is that same compound, the same way that like we call light stroke beer skunky because that compound, that 3MBT that makes the skunky smell is the exact same compound that makes the skunk smell like a skunk. And so like, it's, it's the same thing. It's just presenting itself mm-hmm. in a different, different environment kind of thing. Fucking science, man. Right. Science. But yeah, so coriander is one that works on a lot of levels, just in terms of, you probably have some in your house. You're able to like, give it a quick sniff. You get the coriander smell, but that smell is also, you know, lemons and oranges and, um, even a little bit of like lavender, now, is all it, of these familiar flavors that you can find in beer. Coriander is uh, cilantro seed, correct? Correct. Oh, yes. We use the, so I have ground, already 
ground coriander. I don't know how old Ooh. this is, but I do remember like Lori and I, our first, our first goza kettle sour. Mm. Some, I got some seeds from across the way, crushed them on the day, and that smell was great. Mm. And yes. then even when we, th- when we threw it in the, the boil, it was like, boom, you smell them right away. Yeah, and that's that's a really great point with using spices, you know, fresh is best. And if you're using something like coriander in your beer, you want to use um, Indian coriander rather than Moroccan coriander. So if we've all bought this in a grocery store, chances are this is Moroccan coriander. Mm-hmm. And I learned that difference because I always thought it was weird in the BJCP guidelines that it would talk about like whip beers if the coriander had like a hammy or a celery flavor to it. I was like, in mm. what world? What, how does that Damn. happen? <laughs> but it's because Moroccan coriander can have, can like lend those sort of like hammy or vegetal flavors, but Indian coriander won't. And it will have, mm. Indian coriander has a much more like bright citrusy pop of flavor. I think that's what we got. Cause there's just a store across the street. That's like, it's a little Middle Eastern. Like, I don't even know, but interesting actually yeah. have you heard of the brand i don't know how far this brand reaches but sad f <laughs> s-a-d-f oh, yeah. sad f no i haven't i'm always no, like no, sad a lot of, fuck. A lot, yeah a lot of, <laughs> no they make a lot of middle eastern halal yeah uh, okay like Jewish food or kosher food that's interesting yeah cool so time we have some time yeah so i've got a lot of time <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of time just in general, but time is very good in terms of uh, when. So let me gather my thoughts on this, but it's aggressive. One Mm. of the things with sensory is that, you know, every, every descriptor you use should have one meaning and every meaning should have one descriptor, which is why descriptors such as herbal, aren't really that great because it conveys some information, but we might all have a different interpretation of what herbal means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to use time when I'm talking to people about what English hops taste like, because they're often described as being very herbal. Mm-hmm. And I actually went in after the first time I took the advanced Cicerone exam, because I realized I really needed to work on my descriptions for different flavors. And I just said, Hey, if I asked you what in the story you have that is that you would describe as herbal, what would you what would you choose? And you know, the, like the person thought about it and was like, "Oh, I think maybe I would use like thyme, maybe rosemary." We asked somebody else working; they had a couple of other different things. Most of us ended up on thyme as being like, if we're talking about herbal, that's a pretty good match. Okay. But you know, again, that just goes to show that descriptors like herbal kind of get you there but they don't get you all the way there because between the three of us we all overlapped yeah we all overlapped at time but all of us were thinking something different Mm -hmm. but you know i like time as a good example of when you're thinking of herbal what herbal can mean when we're talking about hops um but really i mean again most of us have spices in our homes just taking time to smell them and you know, and make those scent memories in your mind is a really fantastic, low cost, low you know, low barrier to entry way to really build your sensory vocab. 
Jen's going to have people like doing lines of like <laughs> spices on their <laughs> right. kitchen counters. Yeah. You're like, what's wrong with you? I just took Jen's sensory class. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Pumped out on time and right. coriander. <laughs> All right. So last but not least, Jen, you asked us to well, you made you gave us the option to find a screwdriver. Yes. Um, so we had to do the screwdriver. Yes. Um, and I was happy that you chose this one because this was um, I understand that I'm very nerdy about beer, but <laughs> this was definitely one of like the nerdiest things that just brought me so much joy. Um, when I was reading about this in, um, Harold McGee's book, Nosedive, which is not about beer, but if you're interested in learning about, uh, different aromas, I highly, highly recommend that book. And one of the things I like about Harold McGee is that he's not he doesn't come from a scientific background and that's something that i find a lot in brewing literature is that a lot of it is written by people who have highly technical backgrounds so it can be hard for a lay person or like myself i don't have a scientific background you know it, it can be hard to follow along with all of that and harold mcgee does a fantastic job of just presenting it in a very lay person way but i was reading one day and just and I don't even remember what section I was reading, but there was just like this parenthetical that said there are polymers in the handle of screwdrivers that when they break down, they break down into acetic acid and butyric acid. And that's why toolboxes smell so bad. So uh, I like read that and like put my book down and like ran downstairs onto the garage. <laughs> I'm like pulling open the drawers to the tool cabinet. And my husband's like, What are you doing? I'm just like Picking up all these screwdrivers and smelling the handles. He's like, she's lost it. She's yeah, lost she's it. Like, Finally. I need to stop yeah. with this Cicero. Right, exactly. Yeah. In our house, he's just like, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so screwdriver handles, uh, the when you have the ones that have the plastic, this polymer will break down and it forms acetic acid and butyric acid. So your screwdriver can be a really great way to familiarize with yourself with the smell of acetic acid. So think like vinegar, um, think of like a Flanders red ale has a high level of acetic acid in it. And then butyric acid is going to be like kettle sours. <laughs> a lot of times um, you'll get them in that. Oof, yeah, we know all about, we know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, can, I was never very good at picking up butyric acid until I had to judge a GOSA category in a beer competition. And by the end of it, I was like, I get it. I, I don't, <laughs> I will never forget the way butyric acid smells and tastes. I won't either. Cause it yeah. literally invaded my, my room one time. So, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Wait, so I don't know. I, so my screwdriver doesn't have that classic yellow plastic. Uh, yeah. You may need one with like the polymer. What about this wrench handle. though? No, it's the, no, we need yeah, the... so it's this, like the handle part specifically. Darn modern toolkit. Yeah, as I say, no, so if you have one that's got like a rubber grip. <laughs> the minute oh, I get we to work, failed. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so next time you see a screwdriver, just give it like a quick, mm. quick snip. I've joked about doing that with um, caprylic acid, which is 
that suffix like C-A-P-R is goat. So that's the caprylic, caprylic acid will give you a lot of those goaty flavors that you find in Britannomyces beers. Ah. And I have done the flavor standards, but like I don't have a lot of opportunity to smell goats. Uh, but I've been thinking like there has to be some place, I, you know, I'm in Atlanta, like there has to be some place that does goat yoga or something where I can just show up and just be like, <laughs> and just you know, smell goat. the goat really <laughs> quick. And, yeah. What about like a street fair? They always have goats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I saw goats a lot more when I wasn't looking for them. No, I know a guy with a goat herd that it, it does like people's property, like munches the grasses on people's yes. properties. Yeah, they have those. They have those in Atlanta. Maybe I'll just like see next yeah. time somebody posted on social media or something about seeing a bunch of goats. I'll just be like a complete creep and just like do a drive-by sniff of the goats. <laughs> Who is this lady goat? huffing our goats? Right. Goats are yeah. goats are all the rage now. I feel like people just bought them all up, and I don't know. Even my yeah. dad was like getting crazy about it. <laughs> he's got a farm though, so he's allowed to do that, but. <laughs> um yeah. well thank you for walking us through that and yeah that definitely fun. so and and you know like i said it's so much of your sensory is being able to communicate what it is that you are perceiving and we're all the best judge of what we're perceiving and it's really just a matter of learning how to put those perceptions into the those commonly accepted lexicons so you know if i say this smells like perm solution there's a good chance that the person reading that score sheet has never had a perm and, you know, and it doesn't resonate with them. But if I say like, this is H2S, this is probably what caused it. Like that's much that is communicating so much more information to people. So yeah, smell everything. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say like, don't like lick everything, but. Um, I know. thought you were going to make us lick this. Fruit <laughs> I got my COVID vaccine. Yeah, well, and most of what we foresee flavor-wise is actually aroma, so it's perfectly fine for most things to be able to okay. just smell them. But yeah, you know, smell your spices when you have a piece of citrus fruit. Take the time to just, you know, take a bite off the peel, take a bite off the pith, and you would be surprised at how quickly your brain can recognize those flavors because you've probably had them before. Uh, but then you're just making that conscious effort to connect it and label it, and it really does make you a much better judge of beer, whether you're a beer judge or if you're just learning to perceive and communicate what you're tasting in beer, you know, like the, everything around you has the potential to, um, you know, to help you increase your descriptive vocabulary. The more, you know, Jen, yeah. thank you. This was like <laughs> so enlightening. And I, I, I'm so, imp we're so impressed and we're so honored that you, joined us and hung well, with you. us and we're gonna have to have you back on Sorry. i'm gonna dm you yeah for sure <laughs> we should we need yes. to do a crossover episode <gasps> yes you would have us on we'll have to get rachel of on yes you guys yeah. sound so smart like, and by yeah, the way if you haven't so listened to false bottom girls you are listening out i'm sorry you are missing out <laughs> on listening to one of the coolest beer podcast is yeah <clears throat> i i haven't listened to a lot of beer podcasts but i listened to a shit ton of false bottom girls and i've been oh, listening to it since before we even started this one it was like very inspirational to me 
And I was like, why don't you get tall? We should have these cool conversations too. So thank you. Right? You're amazing. <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all like know your shit. So it's it's fun. It's like very good, like in-depth educational content in like production brewing and like styles and like you guys touched on all sorts of stuff. So that's yeah, cool. Thank you. I like it. Yes, yeah, so we definitely cool. tried to. Well, well um yeah. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say, uh Jen's on Instagram under are you public, you private? Under the yes, Jen public. And she also runs courses. Um, unfortunately, I was trying to take your course. It just like work got away from me and maybe you'll offer it again and we'll circle back. But so good to have you on. Such an honor. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to hang out next time. Yes, yeah. definitely. Thank you both is, so much for having me. Is there anything you want to plug before we close out? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I will say that I am working on offering the beer judging course again as an online option. Uh, so I hope to have more information available about that publicly within the next couple of weeks. So Very if cool. you miss it the first time, you have the opportunity to do it again. Right on. Maybe I'll do that. Do it. For sure. I to get my shit together. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the videos from my first, uh, the first round of beer judge training we did are available for free on my YouTube channel. That's also under the Gemfluence. Um, so yeah, that's, that's also available. Very cool. Very, well, very thanks cool. again. And thanks for listening to brewed up. We hope you have a wonderful time smelling screwdrivers <laughs> and licking them too. You can like, yes. And eating. <laughs> All right. Good night. People we will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Brewed Up Podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Want more Brewed Up? Check out our Patreon page. For a few bucks a month, patrons have access to video recordings of our episodes, exclusive recipes, and all sorts of bonus content. Brewed Up is pleased to have the support of the American Homebrewers Association. Consider joining and get access to hundreds of solid homebrew recipes, techniques, community, and of course, random pictures of us brewing. The Brewed Up music is produced by LA legend producer Elusive. <laughs>